scary skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. It was funny. You were singing Alright, this is uh, welcome back, people. This is Uncle Rick with uh, Cousin Joey here. Yeah, this Cousin is Joey. Uh, I'm walking here. Hey, oh, <laughs> now this is uh, Uncle Rick's uh, pickle hour. We talk about pickles that I bought recently. So, I had uh, a couple good two, three ones over in North Carolina. They were spicy. Oh, always comes back. Oh, it does. Always it does. comes back. So, in recent news, yeah. Time to get you heated and really timestamp the episode real quick. Yeah, let's get heated. Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's a good point. You want to know the best thing in the world and I want to get your opinion on it? Sure, let's do it. You like everything coming out saying Killmonger is the best villain since the Joker? Um, no. (laughs) I had a feeling. So, I like Michael B. Jordan. I've liked Michael B. Jordan since Creed, Fruitvale Station, um... Chronicle. Fuck, he, he like made Chronicle good. Um, Darren DeHaan is good too, but um, or Dane. Dane, Dane DeHaan. Dane DeHaan, uh, good actor, um, just kind of weird throughout Chronicle. I, I would say Michael B. Jordan's like the heart of that movie, and when mm. he dies, the movie kind of struggles to find like a good spot. But uh, <sighs> Killmonger, he just kind of. I could see why people resonate with his character because he's saying what everyone is thinking. You know, he's the underdog. He's the one who wants to, you know, bring shit to light and he wants to share this. He, you know, one, there are two parts of his character. And part one is I, I want to reconnect with my blood and my blood deserves the throne. And he goes he goes to the home he never knew because his father died before he could take him there. But when he gets there, he's like, I'm going to arm every black person around the world and we're going to take it back. And there's something very empowering about that. And, and the line he says when he dies about, um, you know, our ancestors used to jump off ships, ships essentially, in, yeah. instead of, uh, you know, lying down and, taking, the ocean. And, take, and taking chains. Yeah. Yeah. So there is a, a, a you know, a group of, of people that are saying he's the best because of moments like that. And, and there are parts of it that I'm seeing uh, people connecting lines to Tyler Durden. You know, essentially he's a psychopath with a point and he he says very profound things for being someone who is very much a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the second part of his character is a sociopath. And we can't say, you know, uh, definitively that he was the best part of that movie because of said fact. I mean, his performance, yes, but Killmonger as a character is very flawed 
and people praising him and his ideals is very much psychotic. Some uh, fan theories. Killmonger's not dead. No, he's definitely dead. <laughs> I was going to say, he, he took his spirit to the chest and pulled it out and died in front of him. Oh, yeah, he, he killed himself. That's literally, his last line is like, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> like, how, how, like, if we don't see him sitting in a hospital bed or his, you know, or his body somewhere with his eyes open and him talking at the end of that movie after that scene where he collapses after pulling the spear out of him, then he's fucking dead. And that's just like, same thing with Malekith, you know, go back, watch Thor Dark World. He he has the same fucking message and he goes out relatively similarly. It's just like, you know, this race ruined my race and now I'm going to use the power of your race to destroy this race. And it's just like, okay, I get it. And he dies relatively, you know, obscured too. you know, he's on a planet. You don't see him die. Um, but you see a giant fucking ship fall on him and that's, that's enough for Christopher Eccleston. But what, um, (laughs) but what I, uh, but what I really dislike the most is just how, mundane that movie was. And I see people drawing lines to the Star Wars prequels. I see people drawing lines to, you know, um, the graphics and the wide shots look similar to that of early 2000s superhero movies. And like, I totally get that. There Mm -hmm. were several scenes near the end where I was just like, wow, this, this actually looks worse than Spider-Man three. And there were parts earlier in the movie with, with, you know, scene setting where I was like, this looks worse than the star Wars prequels. At least they had the, at least they had the ability to build entire giant practical effects areas before they would establish us with, with several terrible CGI shots of extras, you know, standing at different spots of a a blue screen, a green Mm -hmm. screen. Yeah. It's those kinds of things that take me out of the movie and make me enjoy it less because it just shows that people really aren't focused. They're they're really they're really hoping people overlook the shit because the movie means more to the industry and to the world. Oh yeah, I was gonna say too, the one thing that It's crafted pretty poorly is what I'll say. A that, lot of points that's that why people I rate it keep lower. bringing up with it. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how like high it's getting rated, though, especially with like, Rotten Tomatoes and well, everything. Rotten Tomatoes said, we know people are specifically rating it down because of the fact that it does star a, pr- a pr- 98% African-American cast with 98% African-American producers and... Even the director is African-American. Like, people started, like, spreading a thing on Reddit. Posts of guys with messages, screen caps of people saying, let's all give the RT score for Black Panther shit. You know, let's just give it, like, zeros or twos because um, they're racist. Yeah. And um, there are people probably putting a, a, a genuine score in there that Rotten Tomatoes is now deleting because they assume it is just slander. Mm-hmm. That's the problem with an aggregated run yeah. website. But I think, you know, the minute you start fucking with 
the, the way things are received, um, you can't really trust where it does end up sitting. So is it better than The Godfather? Because that's where it sits on Rotten Tomatoes right oh, now, geez. people. Yeah, no. It sits above Citizen Kane and, and The Godfather Part 1. Oh, and uh, and it's in front of Shawshank Redemption, which is specifically where I where I uh, spit up drink because that movie is fucking flawless. Frank Darabont, Stephen King. More like garbage. Whoa, Shawshank, redeem yourself. It's all right. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's okay. I did an episode with where am I about um. The prison complex. Uh, what was it? Seventy one, and and we drew we drew a lot of lines to Shawshank Redemption. It was like reading a New Age Shawshank with a uh, a creepy prisoner. It was fun. Yeah, I love the Green Mile. Yeah. Uh, does it hurt, sir? Yeah, life's like a bunch does, of chocolates. Does death hurt? Well, mm. no, son. There's a bunch of chocolates out there. Eat them up. Never know what uh, never know what bubble gum shrimp's gonna get. Let's see what we can talk about here. So um, I haven't talked about it on the show, but you're a good person to talk about it with. Uh, what we do in the shadows. I love that movie. I love that movie too. Taika Waititi from Boy and Hunt for the Wilder People and Thor Ragnarok. Most recently, did a movie in 2016. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we do in the shadows, it is a hilarious mockumentary, uh, real world style following three, I guess four, uh, for a point, um, vampires living in a flat together in New Zealand and they meet other species like zombies and witches and warlocks and more specifically werewolves. And, um, not only is Taika doing a follow-up movie called Werewolves mm-hmm. about the werewolf population in New Zealand to match, you know, the same satirical comedy of what we do in the shadows, but apparently he is producing a TV show that is coming to, I think, FX. Yeah, I heard something about that, but I didn't read much into it. Um... New cast, same similar premise. Um, I don't even know if 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 it might just be a show translated based off of the the move the movie's characters. It might actually star um, Vlad and and I think his name's Vincent. I, I always forget their names, but all three of the main the main guys and maybe Peter. Ooh, Peter would be great. And there was Peter. So um. They're doing that TV show. I thought that was fun. The only other thing I have written down to talk about, I recently got around to seeing my friend Dahmer. I wanted to see that. It was very uncomfortable. And I, I believe it. And I love movies like that because they are incredibly accurate and very well acted, and they play things so close and so intimate. Everything is intimate, even the creepiness. And there's there's moments of heart where you're kind of like, oh, well, maybe if that didn't happen, he wouldn't have happened. Um, really awesome introspection. And it only makes me then say, 
you know, the the indirect sequel to this movie is the Dahmer movie starring Jeremy Renner that was done in, I think, the uh, late 90s. So, you know, go watch <laughs> go watch part one of my friend Dahmer where he doesn't quite do the killing yet. Not not any humans, just a bunch of animals. Um and go and then go, and then watch, go watch Jeremy Hawkeye. Jeremy Renner. Yeah, Jeremy Renner plays Dahmer in a biopic where it does show the gruesome. It does show the um him him you know what he did with people, which was anything from you know his own form of zombies and necrophilia and cannibalism and you know tons of good stuff. It's mm-hmm. fun. Uh, there's a there's a Bundy movie coming I was out. Say, Zach with Zac Efron <laughs> looks real Bundy. good. He's got the smile down. That's all that matters. And um, James Hetfield's gonna be in it. James Hetfield, the singer of Metallica, playing a decently big role too, which is interesting. Gonna be interesting for his first jump in the acting. Yeah, isn't that something? Maybe he'll pull a a regular old uh, what's this guy? What's his name from uh, Doctor Parnassus? Heath Ledger, because he's dead. <laughs> no, I was talking about the old guy who plays the uh, plays the devil. Oh, wow! He was a musician before he was an actor, and he really only acted like recently in his life. He's always in Terry Gilliam movies. Uh, anyway. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is Butcher's Block. I mentioned it on like every episode in the last episode. The only reason I keep mentioning it, people, is because this is this is a six-episode show on a channel anyone with cable or internet can watch because it's free online. SciFiChannel.com episodes, Channel Zero. Uh, they only put the recent season up, but you can you can find Channel uh, Channel Zero seasons one, Candle Cove, and seasons two of Noah and House, pretty much anywhere. So there's no reason to not watch and support Butcher's Block because it is awesome and it is creepy and Rutger Hauer is fucking amazing in it, and it's just it's something else. It's like watching. The search and rescue, stairs in the woods shit, had a baby with, like, Hellraiser. And that's just, that's that's all I need to say. Maybe a little bit of uh, Dario uh, from uh, Suspiria. But, uh... Yeah, Hellraiser. Man, new Hellraiser's coming out. I think Judgment already came out. Oh, did it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember, uh, if well, if it did then, I remember seeing the thing that Romero, right? Who? Who wrote Hellraiser? Clive Barker. Clive Barker, yeah. Barker came out and released a statement saying, yeah, I had no part in this. Yeah, this isn't good. I don't think he's had a part in it since, like, 2005, because that was when it had been shut down for, like, a good 10 years, and these two brothers, they were, I I don't know if they were twins or not, but um, these two brothers made an indie film of Hellraiser, small scale, shitty effects, but you kind of... I recently rewatched most of the Hellraiser movies, and when I got to that one, my my senses had already faltered. I think one through three are okay. Um, four and five is like a step down, and then from that point onward, it just gets annoying. And um, I'm relatively certain five is the one that took place 
in like 2005 and it's one Barker had nothing to do with it because it was entirely written and performed and acted by small scale indie self-production and it's just a brand new just brand new Hellraiser and it and it did terribly not surprised there yeah good I'm you by watching it you can tell what they were trying to do and how they were trying to reinvent Hellraiser and it is endearing. It is like a fan film. Um, and there have been some good fan films lately. I recently watched a really good Gremlins one that came out during Christmas. It's maybe 20 minutes long. And it's just like, obviously, these people don't have the million dollar budgets of studios to, to make good looking Gremlins. So they are very much puppets. But... The way they use them and how well it's shot and acted, it, it grants, you know, an endearing quality that, you know, it makes you think like, maybe these are the people we should be giving tons of money to, to resuscitate, you know, earlier franchises, because giving them to people who are already in the industry has been not working out for us. Lately, well, I mean, come on, Rob Zombie's Halloween series is, and you know, and that's and that's funny because I don't even hate those. I thought those were okay. I'm I'm more so saying like, people, it was so hard not to talk, not to immediately think of like the more recent Star Wars movies, but uh, but anyway, Jurassic Park. I was like, Jurassic World was okay, but it's literally a shot for shot like remake of the first movie is paced the same ways the kids are just one's another one's a guy you know like every everyone does the same shit and the same shit happens you know but come on Jurassic World 2 the lost kingdom is nothing like <laughs> the lost world. The lost world. Wow. It's not an exact shot-for-shot shot remake Dinosaur of the lost world. City. Wait, what's it about? It's about the dinosaurs not doing too hot where they're at, so we're gonna take them somewhere else. What does that sound like? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> the T Rex doesn't get loose in the city. Oh shit! Just kidding. It's a bio mutated raptor. <laughs> Does that, that makes sense. sense. Absolutely going to be. Um, I uh, uh, I've been saving talking about a couple games as well lately because um, I got my eyes on the uh, early reviews for the horror survival attempt of Metal Gear Solid. Oh god! <laughs> called like Metal Gear Survive. Yep. Uh, yeah. What? Any thoughts on that? So today, as I purchased stuff at Second and Charles, and I had a copy of Metal Gear Solid 2 that I was buying, the uh, cashier looked at me and said, oh, isn't the new one coming out? And I'm like, it took me a minute to think, because I'm like, wait a minute, what? Wait, is there? What are you talking about, new one? And I'm like, Metal Gear Solid 5 is (laughs) the newest one. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Metal Gear Survive. Which doesn't have Kojima. That is, uh, yeah, that's just a Konami's attempt to try to kill the series more than it needs to be. That is, uh, that is a shame for well, what they're about to do to the well, series. They had, they had two options. 
they could be like Microsoft after after Bungie. Bungie. They could be Microsoft after Bungie, or they could try and play shit like Valve and just say, hey, this isn't quite what the other thing is, but we're going to do it anyway. Because that's just kind of Valve's attitude. But, uh, I don't know. I I might check it out. Oh, no. I wouldn't. Until, and by check it out, I mean, like, I'm, I, I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to pay for it. I'm probably just going to spend a lot of time watching, like, a Let's Player play it. And that's, like, a lot of time out of my life. That's hours. So, I mean, yeah. It's not the same amount of work as buying it and paying for it, but I'll definitely watch someone play it. I'll give you that much. I'll see what it looks like. I haven't bought now. a Resident Evil game in forever, but I have watched and rewatched several Let's Plays of recent Resident Evil games. The good and the bad. Well, I mean, six was got off. Seven. <laughs> seven brought it back. Uh, I thought about six for a second, but then I immediately afterwards thought about uh, punching gators in seven. <laughs> so there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. Hey, um, seven was good though. Seven I'm talking really about the DLC it. where you play as Jack's Chris. brother. <laughs> Wait, what? There's a new DLC where you play as Jack's brother who lives off in the bayou and starts to get trickles of molded coming towards him from the house because you could tell they're trying to spread and colonize and shit. He literally punches them to death. It is like a run-and-gun punch-punch-em-up. It, it looked so much fun. and uh, But it's also exactly the kind of shit that Resident Evil started going downhill for. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny because it's in the context of Resident Evil 7. Yeah, no. That's interesting. But I, I liked, mean, but I liked Chris the new Redfield Chris stuff. One came out too. I liked the new Chris stuff. I thought that I thought that uh I thought that DLC was cool. I thought it was cool. I don't I don't not support the new Chris. I, I think he acted like a fucking eighties action hero, which is what he always acted like. And he just looks more American yeah. now. And because they have a new style, like he's gonna look like that. Hey. Plus, I think they're making new movies, and I think it's that's... me, Chris Redfield, both American gay. <laughs> What's up? I punch Boulder. Hey, Jill, come over here. That sit on Baba Lap. <laughs> hey, zombie, come over here. Sit on Baba Lap. So I don't know if I even introduced you yet. You just said you were Uncle Rick, and we kind of just played off of that. But this is lots of pasta, and I'm here with uh, a guest that hasn't been on in a while, but he's but he's back. You know, we've been doing that a lot recently. Some Peach tea drink team. Some people have, but you don't have a bunch of baby ducks here, so it's not a team. Um, <laughs> he hasn't been on since the sixties. Uh, your last one was in the fifties. Um, oh yeah, it was 2018 now, it's been Wasn't it? It's been uh, 60 40s years. 40s or 50s? Um, I had a friend who recently had a 50 episode hop who came on fr- in the tw- in, in 20 and came back in the 70s and I was like, nice, nice to see you again, my buddy uh, Gnarly Charlie. Yeah, okay. Um, just hopped on one day and we did an Alien special, it was real fun. But I'm, I'm here, of course, with Terry the Tickler. 
and saying your name, uh, the reason I had to bring it up is because there was something else I noted down that I had to talk to you about. <laughs> and that was just, it's okay if I cut this, but uh, I recently stumbled onto uh, old, like, pictures and files and, like, shit from a while ago. And uh, it got me to pull out my folder of, like, old comics and shit. And you had an old pseudonym back in the day, like an AIM name that you had. Wait, which one? <laughs> We're going off, like, Jim the Vampire? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I always kind of thought, like... Like, I like Terry the Tickler. I think it's very... It's a contemporary Jeff the Killer knockoff, and I think there's something funny about that. But, um... Jim the Vampire was older and, and so classically, uh, like, archaically inspired that part of me, when thinking about what we do in the shadows, like, reminded myself, like, what happened to that name? I don't even remember. I don't even remember <laughs> you where forgot. that name came from. You forgot. Um, it might... I don't... You went by something like that, but I forget what your name was. And what? You were like someone the vampire. I'm like, yo, I'm your strange cousin, Jim. Jim the vampire. I don't remember Jim that. Jim DA vampire. I don't remember that. But I do remember um, playing Halo. Mm-hmm. And we would do team matches of Spartans with shotguns versus Covenant with swords. Mm-hmm. And we used to call them the War of the Vampanese. Oh, no. <laughs> like Cirque du Freak, which is horror-related. That's a It's a good series that goes downhill, like, real fast. Um, I don't think it's that bad, though. I liked every bit of it, minus the end, where it's like, spoiler alert, it decides to go, hey, this is all one timeline, here's another dimension, and it just throws dimension physics into it, and it's like, okay. I took it as more, well, you're definitely right. Like the You're last definitely right. book was There's like the last two, forget everything you understood that was, was kind of cool. It was 10 it was 10, 11 and 12. I think was that all of them? It was 12 books? Yeah, I think it was 12. It was 10, 11 and 12 where 10 starts with them going to a fucking different dimension, like a dark dimension and like fighting a fucking dragon and shit. Like that that I remember. But I also remember the, like, end-to-end, book 12, where it's revealed that, like, his soul had to re-inhabit an earlier character that we already know dies. Which was just such an odd fucking way to end a 12-book series. Mm-hmm. Um, you we know, know that that is... character that doesn't talk earlier in the beginning... It, it oh, was the, yeah. It was their way of 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 pulling a a twist, saying that oh the reason that little guy That's helped right. the reason the little guy helped him out so much was because it is him when his soul got fucking torn from his body from the fucking dark dimension. But like this probably sounds really fucking confusing to everyone else, but the the story is simply about a guy who wants to be a vampire so he gets a vampire to fucking train him to be a vampire mm-hmm. they do the blood transfusion and everything and and naturally they get wrapped into vampire wars between a subspecies of vampires and an older species of vampires very blade 
Um, yeah, the vampires. The movie that take came enough out, blood to satisfy their blood urge. Yeah, or the other Where ones. The other the ones just yeah, drink too much just, blood and kill. Yeah, so think of it in the form of of Blade, where it's like there's a there's a system of vampires that restrain themselves because they simply just want to exist. Mm-hmm. And then there's the the god tier, which thinks that they're above humans and that they could just slaughter them like sheep. Or they are monsterish, which the Vampanese are supposed to be. They're supposed to look like Guillermo del Toro's weird split-faced vampires from Blade 2. Like, they were pretty similarly addressed. Like, weird, splotchy, pale skin. Mm. Um... V- visible veins from all the blood that they consume from from killing people and literally drinking and all of, of their purplish. blood and kind of purplish and then their mouths just split open. Um, so there's a movie that came out and those are what that's what will probably get anyone to remember this this series at all is the um, John C. Riley is the fact that John C. Riley played the badass vampire and it was incredibly miscast. And um, the movie, uh, anyone who remembers the movie, Cirque du Freak, uh, Vampire's Assistant, um, it was terrible. Don't watch it. Yeah, no. That's all I'm going to say is, like, don't watch it. Uh, read the books. They're fun. Young adult literature. Nice, um, you know, fan- dark fantasy vampire thing. Um, but yeah, Jim the Vampire. Terry the Tickler. I see the natural evolution between the two. We're doing something interesting today. Bed with a goblin. Yeah, pretty much. We uh, we're we're gonna start with a couple short stories, um, but we're gonna we're gonna get into one that, you know, up front, just saying it now, it it would probably be better if people actually read this themselves on a computer because it's a it's a chat log and there's a lot of emo- emojis and emoticons used, um, oh perfect as a way of. Of the the creepy guy not saying anything, but just being weird. And he'll just spam, like, emojis. So, we're going to find ways to, to make a drama out of this. But it is essentially a chat log with a with an inner, inner structured narrative. So, there's that. But we're going to start with a couple short things real quick that I specifically saved for you that I think we have to do first. And, um... We're we're gonna start with uh, we're gonna start with a short one, and it's called. Oh no! Yeah, so quit asking. By toast. And it's from toast. Yeah, so quit asking. A homeless man is sitting on a park bench. You are jogging. As you jog up to him, he holds his hand out and asks you for change. You jog on past, pretending that you can't hear him over your iPad. <laughs> Feeling guilty, you stop. You reach into the pocket of your running shorts for a couple of bucks you were saving for a bottle of water. You turn around and jog back to the homeless man. He's already standing right behind you. The park is suddenly abandoned. His eyes are wriggling masses of wasp larvae. He outstretches his arms, each which are five feet in length. His mouth opens inexplicably wide, his lower jaw touching his sternum. 
The only sound he emits from his gaping mouth is a dial tone. Before he pulls you into the black cavernous throat of his, you have to scream, Oh god, you were phone! Oh no! So you're with your honey and you're making out when the phone rings! You answer it and the voice is, What are you doing with my daughter? You tell her, and she say, My dad is dead. Then who was phone? Oh no, phone was a homeless man in the woods. Oh, I mean, in a park. We figured it out, people. With wasp larva. Her eyes. I don't have to write that story anymore. Because we just found out who phone was. <laughs> yes, so quit asking. That's a good one. Yes, so quit asking. Um, I will admit, there was an episode recently with my brothers where we just read Toast for an entire episode. And uh, we were on edibles and someone read that. And I laughed and said, I'm sorry, I have to give you another story because we have to cut that because you guys don't get it. And there's someone who needs to read this. <laughs> so I saved it for you. That's um, perfect, at least. Yeah, following it up with... Uh, Sad smoles. With the very quick... like, And what I realized about the original pasta for Who Was Phone is it's written terribly. Yeah. Uh, it's my first time seeing it on a screen. I, I, I usually just remember it um, from last podcast on the left, which is naturally who I got that from. They're, they're the f- that they had to cover that one because that's just their sense of humor. Just stupid bullshit. Um, the only other thing I wanted to start with was something else that deals with computers. And um, I relate to it because... I torrent and I steal things. I don't think I've paid or bought a hard disk of a movie in five or six years, but I do own like 600 DVDs and Blu-rays, so I can't really say I never contributed. Um, this this uh, second story is an OG creepypasta, and it's called Pale Luna. Pale Luna, more like... In the last decade and a half, it's become infinitely easier to obtain exactly what you're looking for by way of a couple keystrokes. The internet has made it all too simple to use a computer to change reality. An abundance of information is merely a search engine away, to the point where it's hard to imagine life as any different. Yet, a generation ago, when the words streaming and torrent were meaningless, save for conversations about water, people met face-to-face to to conduct software swap parties, trading games and applications on Sharpie-labeled five-and-a-quarter-inch floppies. I bet it's not the only floppy they handled. Of course, most of the time, the meets were a way for frugal, community-minded individuals to trade popular games like King's Quest and Maniac Mansion amongst themselves. However, a few early programming talents designed their own computer games to share amongst their circle of acquaintances, who in turn would pass it on until, if fun and well-designed enough, an independently developed game had its place in the collection of aficionados across the country. Think of it as the 80s equivalent of a viral video. Pale Luna, on the other hand, was never circulated outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. All known copies have been long disposed of. All computers that ever run the game now 
detritus buried under layers of filth and polystyrene. This fact is attributed to a number of rather abstruse design choices made by its programmer. Pale Luna was a text adventure in the vein of Zork and the Lurking Horror at a time when said genre was swiftly going out of fashion. Upon booting the program, the player was presented with a screen almost completely blank, except for the text. <clears throat> you are in a dark room. <laughs> Phone light shines through the window. Okay, if you're gonna do that, you need to like lean in to the mic so I can hear you. Are you really gonna read all of this like that? You are in a dark room. Moonlight shines through the window. There is gold in the corner, along with a shovel and a rope. There is a door to the east. Command. I'm glad you can do it, but I don't think people are going to understand you. Uh. <laughs> oh, shit. Holy shit. That I'm was glad tough. you got through a paragraph doing that. Uh. Oh, my God. That was tough. Command. You need to read it again. <laughs> I'll keep it the first time, but... <sighs> you are the dark room. No! <laughs> God damn it. Uh, you are the dark room. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> You're just doing it faster. Stop. Read it normal. You are in a dark room. <laughs> I need sound to, like I you need were to, singing for a second. Yeah, that's how I had to go. You are in a dark room. <clears throat> you are in a dark room. Moonlight shines through the window. There is gold in the corner, along with a shovel and a rope. There is a door to the east. Command. Command. <laughs> so began the game that one writer for a long out-of-print fanzine decried as enigmatic, nonsensical, and completely unplayable, as the only commands that the game would accept were pick up gold, pick up shovel, pick up rope, open door, and go east. The player was soon presented with the following. Reap your reward. Bail Luna smiled at you. You are in a forest. There are paths to the north. West and East. Command. What quickly infuriated the few who played the game was the confusing and buggy nature of the second screen onward. Only one of the directional decisions would be the correct one. For example, on this occasion, a command to go in a direction other than north would lead to the system freezing, requiring the operator to hard reboot the entire computer. Further, any subsequent screens seem to merely repeat the above text, with the difference being only the directions available. Worse still, the standard text adventure commands appeared to be useless. The only accepted non-movement related prompts were use gold, which caused the game to display the message. Not here. Use shovel, which brought up. Not now. And use rope, which prompted the text. You've already used this. <laughs> 
Most who play the game progressed a couple of screens into it before becoming fed up by having to constantly reboot and tossing the disc in disgust, writing off the experience as a shoddily programmed farce. However, there is one thing about the world of computers that remains true. No matter the era, some people who use them have way too much time on their hands. A young man named Michael Nevins decided Hello. to see if there was more to Pale Luna than what met the eye. Five hours and 33 screens worth of trial and error and unplugged computer cords later, he finally managed to make the game display different text. The text in this new area read, Bale Luna smiles wide. There were no paths. Bale Luna smiles wide. The ground is soft. Bale Luna smiles wide. Here? Go mad. <laughs> it was another hour still before Nevins stumbled <clears throat> upon the proper combination of phrases to make the game progress any further. Dig. Hole. Drop gold. Then fill hole. This caused the screen to display. Congratulations! 40.24248, negative 121.4434. Upon which the game ceased to accept commands requiring the user to reboot one last time. After some deliberation, Nevin came to a conclusion that the numbers referred to lines of latitude and longitude. The coordinates lead to a point in the sprawling forest that dominated the nearby Lesson Volcanic Park. As he possessed much more free time than sense, Nevins vowed to see Pale Luna through to its ending. Interesting. The next day, armed with a map, a compass, and a shovel, he navigated the park's trails, noting with amusement how each turn he made corresponded roughly to those that he took in the game. Though he initially regretted bringing the cumbersome digging tool on a mere hunch, the path's similarity all but confirmed his suspicions that the journey would end him with face-to-face -face with an eccentric buried treasure. Out of breath after a tricky struggle to the coordinates, he was pleasantly surprised by a literal stumble upon a patch of uneven dirt. Shoveling as excitedly as he was, it would be an understatement to say that he was taken aback when his heavy strokes unearthed the badly decomposing head of a blonde-haired little girl. Oh. That took, a, that took a different... Nevins promptly reported the situation to the authorities. The girl was identified as Karen Paulson, 11, reported as missing to the San Diego Police Department a year and a half prior. Efforts were made to track down the programmer of Pale Luna, but the nearly anonymous legal gray area in which the software swapping community operated inescapably led to many dead ends. Collectors have been known to offer upwards of six figures for an authentic copy of the game. The rest of Karen's body was never found. I really liked that. Yeah, that, that was, was interesting. Fun. That was fun because it's it's believable enough. If someone somewhere could create Saw, then someone somewhere could have easily in the fucking, you know, what what year did it say? I just imagine it's either early 90s or late 80s because of the well, um, the way they like talk about floppy disks. Alone, yeah. Floppy disks. So <laughs> late I mean, late 80s. Um fuck yeah. 
I like it. And I and I specifically like how uncomfortable the like sentence like pale Luna smiles upon you. Like that mm-hmm. just doesn't it just doesn't sound great. Yeah, no. You know? It's fun. It's it's There's a story like, I'd like to see more too though. Sure. At the same time. Just like that little extra bit. Without I guess without being too much of a needing to happen. Yeah, at what point do you draw a line of, like, just enough material? Because, like, you could bring back Pale Luna. Sure. And maybe the developer that made it type idea, Mm. but without it feeling like it's going to give it too much closure without it having this open-ended sense. I wouldn't wouldn't say no to a part two if there Mm -hmm. was one, you know, a, a continuation, like... I don't know. They always say that if a killer kills once, it's impossible to stop them from killing again. Mm-hmm. So. This is going to be in the similar text. So, this one is from a new source. It's called Too Spooky. <clears throat> Too Spooky. We read... How spooky is it? I'll tell you. It's too spooky. Oh. I think we read one in 65 with Django and Strawberry Shortcake. But uh, I could be wrong. It might have been with Scutch McGee. Um, Anyway, we read Too Spooky before. It was pretty good. So I grabbed the rest of this guy's short stories. Uh, This one's a little... It's a little longer. It's longer than the other ones um, that we read on this episode. But it's written in this kind of AIM chat that I think we'll be able to get through it pretty fast. Uh, It's called Funny Mouth. Mm. And uh, what do you think about... Just funny mouth, and vaguely knowing what this story is about. It sounds funny, like he's got a funny mouth. <laughs> well, at least you're being honest. <laughs> um, oh man, I, I think I think it's meant to be deceiving. Mm, I could believe that. Um, or like reading think the first about, two lines. Think going about on. um, you know when when we were kids. Stumbling onto the dark side of Newgrounds, the dark side of anything where you could play like an online game or, you know, um, just how, you know, scary that could be. Like even even this is implying that like you're sitting in some kind of forum or some kind of public chat somewhere and something someone just starts talking to you weirdly. <coughs> and, you know, that's that's creepy. Mm-hmm. That's creepy. And I think this this could be <coughs> something. Yeah. Oh, so the first thing I have to establish is one of us, I think because he's in the entire story, one of us is just going to read Funny Mouth. Because one of us should read the narrator, which is Lemon Lime Skull. Maybe one of us reads the Lemon Lime Skull lines and the narrator parts, and then the other one reads... All the other characters, including Funny Mouth. That's one Funny Mouth. Alright, I'll be Lemon Lime Skull. You can be Funny Mouth. So, um... So this is Funny Mouth. (gasps) Funny Mouth has joined. Hashtag, refer sales. Funny Mouth. Hello everyone tonight. I like to lick the blood out of in the person. I see your handsome face. Don't be so sad about it. Come on. 
Winky, I mean, smiley face. <laughs> Funny mouth has left. Hashtag refer sales. Ghost George. Holy fuck. What the fuck? Lemon lime skull. Did that just happen? Yeah, skull. Yes, it did. <laughs> so this asshole drives by into a fucking public chat, says some weird shit, and quickly leaves. What a guy. This, this story might this, oh, this story might be funny, but I have a feeling it'll quickly get creepy. Oh yeah, no, it will. Man, Ghost George. But that's, but that's a good intro. Ghost George is great. I, I want to know more about him. You like Ghost George? That's who you care about. Ah, holy fuck. fuck! What the fuck? <laughs> it's fantastic. The first thing I should probably note is that I'm Lemon Lime Skull. Okay. In other words, that's my screen name up there. That was the first time I saw or heard from... Any man. <laughs> for all intents and purposes, it should have been the last. <laughs> Anyone who spent enough time chatting away knows that weirdos come and go. Folks pop in to ask inane questions or just to troll a populated channel. What first struck me as odd about the funny mouth guy However, was the fact that he came and went with no particular goal. He didn't try to piss anyone off, and he didn't ask if anyone on the channel knew how to fix his computer or remove a virus. He just stuck his head in, rattled off some random text, and happily fucked off. Lemon Lime Skull, so really though, what the hell? Ghost Jorge. Donde del Manetti? Donde esta? Nah! Clue! Not a clue! Hey, <laughs> no, that was good. He, he mistyped Lemon Lime Skull. He's in another channel if you want to find out. It's hashtag blued. I do not, sir. <laughs> XD. Bitch. Oh, shit. I don't know what results I expected from following this guy to another channel. I'm not the type that goes out of his way to annoy or argue with people. I usually avoid it at all costs, though once someone starts with me, I don't mind getting into it at that point. I guess what I'm saying is I have no idea why I pursued this. Lemon Lime Skull has entered hashtag blued. Hey. He was sitting there in the channel by himself. Uh, surprise face emoji thing. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's wide eyes. Oh, okay. Why not? That makes sense. Wide eyed. Yeah, funny man. Funny man. Wide eyed. Lemon like lime skull. Sandler. Smiley face. So. Wide eyed. So you're staring at me. That's rude. Sorry. <laughs> I just do it. It's okay. I see. Why died? I actually chuckled out loud at this point. He was weird and inoffensive. You can come back to hashtag refer sales if you want. We're not gonna boot you if that's what you're worried about. Oh, why Or not. Whatever, man. You just seem interesting and I'm bored tonight. I am broad tonight, too. I always don't. You always don't what? I always don't, that's it. <laughs> I always don't because they don't, and then I get silly. Okay. 
Okay. Well, see you around. Yeah, see you around. <laughs> George has entered hashtag glued. Yeah, what up, guys? It's me, George. God damn it. Oh, this is cool. Oh, I'm glad that fucking funny mouth is just like a weird Adam Sandler. Did you say wide up? Wide day. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he does sound like that, doesn't he? <clears throat> and with that, I left. The act got old fast, and I felt either this was someone trying too hard, or a legitimate moron who was unaware of how to properly use a chat program. Sitting idly by yourself and popping into other channels for a split second seemed like a desperate bid for attention. I might have done that and laughed my ass off in or around the 90s, but yeah, it's stupid. This is Ghost George. That's Ghost Jorge now. Ghost Jorge. His name just changed entirely. Lemon Lime Skull. Nothing. I I seriously don't know what he was saying. Hey, welcome to the internet. What's sad is that besides you and me, that guy's the only active user here all night. Lemon Life Skull kicks Killjay and shouts, Wake up! Blah. Silence dominated the channel for about a half hour as I minimized the window and went about my business. Anyone on? Nothing. Eight users in the channel, not a single one active. Boring. Why are you people so boring? Where are you? Wake up. Lemon Lime Skull puts everyone's hand in a bowl of warm water. Uh, it's the roleplay aspect. It took me a few seconds to see it. Funny mouth again. Staring again. I physically slumped my shoulders with a not this shit again sigh. Then I noticed he wasn't in the channel. Question mark? Ellipses? Anyone else see him? Of course. Not because you're idle. Obviously, it was a glitch with either my client or the server. The message was kicked up from earlier in the night at random. These things happened. Still, it creeped the hell out of me. After a few minutes of sitting there with a really cold, creepy feeling in my stomach that I shouldn't have done something, feeling... I decided to stop trying to brave it out and just close out the entire chat program. Sure, I could have just hung out like everything was fine, but why bother try to prove I wasn't spooked? It's too spooky. Hell, nobody was even around to see me slunk away. After a few more hours screwing around on the web, I went to bed around 2.40 a.m. Good for you. One thing I've always prided myself on is that I do not have nightmares, at least not regularly. Usually, if there are monsters or ghosts or nuclear wars in my dream, I get to control it and I have a great time. I'm shooting zombies in the face, outright telling ghosts they're not real while I laugh at them. And if there's some disaster, I always know how to get to the safe spot while every other motherfucker fries. 
I've had maybe four actual nightmares in the past ten years, and yes, I'm completely serious. The first nightmare of my adult life was in 2005. I'd just broken off a relationship with someone who had been with someone else for over a year behind my back. That night, when I finally did get to sleep, I dreamt she was strapped down to a medical table while some sort of unseen, inexplicable creature sucked her brain out through an organic machine. The brain screamed ceaselessly. The second nightmare had me visiting a medical facility where they were experimenting with new methods of saving lives. There was a fantastic tour of this high-tech facility, lots of wonders of modern space, people in lab coats, etc. Then I was led to a room where three car crash victims had been saved by their techniques. This included a slowly rocking young girl whose face had been completely distended and hung around her chest, and a woman who was nothing but a cluster of twitching severed limbs, all held together by a drawn-out, kite-like span of flesh. The third came soon after the second. I was being accosted by two people, one who wanted to insult me to no end, and the other who kept trying to pinch and tweak me in absurdly ineffective ways. Thinking I can control this dream like others, I set the two men against each other, thinking it was sort of poetic justice. Instead, the pincher became increasingly violent until he was pulling at the other's cheeks, grabbing his tongue with a fist and furiously pulling at it until it came out. Then he pulled the fellow's eyelids out until they distended in some sort of grotesque prolapse. I suppose what I'm getting at is that even when I did have nightmares, I was never the actual target of any sort of horror. It's always been a kind of empathetic horror related to someone else getting brutalized. You know, if that wasn't in there, I was so confused for a second there. I'm like, is he uh, yeah. having this nightmare right now? I think he's just telling us that he's gonna he's he's he, he's gonna lead into having a dream about Funny Mouth. Oh yeah. This night, however, was different. As soon as I fell asleep, oh. I started dreaming. Basically, it was a recurring dream I have where I'm in the woods, just checking out animals and birds, and generally acting chill. I lie in the grass and look up at the sky. It's always a dream I welcome because even if I've had a shit day, I'll wake up happy and ready to start over. This time the script changed. I laid in the grass, but while I was staring at the sky, I felt something odd. It was a cold, squirming feeling on my neck. In the dream, I reached to my neck and pulled away a long, writhing earthworm. Earthworms disgust me. Even if I see one in the yard, I'll specifically get a shovel and heap of dirt over it simply so I don't accidentally see it again. Disgusted, but more or less content, I flung the worm aside and continued my dream. Then that feeling again, clammy, wet, wiggling against the side of my neck, I pulled another worm away. Again it happened. The third time, the feeling of confusion and dread became so overwhelming that I immediately snapped myself out of the dream. That's what usually happens when shit gets real in my dreams. Game over. I figured it out, though. At least I thought I had. In the waking world, I felt my neck and discovered a slick, slimy film on my skin. Logic dictated that I must have been drooling in my sleep, nothing to be proud of, but not exactly terrifying either. My dreaming mind must have translated the icky feeling into an appropriate creature in the forest dream. 
Perhaps more unsettling, though, was the fact that the bed around me seemed to have indentations, four to be exact. It was almost as if someone on hands and knees had been hovering over me as I slept. There was any number of reasons that could have happened, but from then on that night I slept very lightly. Any little thing like the sound of a ceiling fan would wake me straight up. I had no real interest in going back to the woods that night. When morning came, I got ready to take off to get out of the house and shake the cobwebs out. I only planned to check my email real quick to make sure I didn't have any pending transactions or questions I had to answer. Surprise! From Freddy Mouth at Blood.com, Saturday, November 17, 2012 at 2.42 a.m. To Charles Watts at ReferSales.com. I had a good time to talk to you. It can be fun. Again, you'll see what? I don't like stop it. Smiley face. As you probably recall, I hadn't given this asshat my email address. However, a logical answer someone else on my channel must have. He obviously came back to hashtag refer sales, asked someone who I was, and that douchebag completely betrayed me knowing I don't give out my personal contact info. Although, the email was dated 240. That was pretty much the moment I went to bed when everyone on the channel was still idle. Even though I well and truly knew I was taking some sort of bait, I responded. Charles Watts, 9.29am, to funnymouth at lewd.com. Um, yeah, bro, not exactly sure I want you he sends the gif of the boss from office space. It was clear and to the point. There was no mistaking the message I was sending, and though it was snippy, I wasn't goading him into replying by starting a flame war. But of course... From FannyMailAppBlood.com Saturday, November 17, 2012 and 3 a.m. Charles Watts. Come on. Come on. Don't be so sad about it. I know you. You can like it. We will have fun. A long time. It's okay, even. It's okay. <laughs> he writes pretty funny. And with that, I blocked his address. Really, I should have done that in the first place, but I still had some sort of sick interest in exactly where this was going. Maybe if I put my foot down, he would admit he was just screwing around and called me a humorless wet blanket. When I saw it, it was just the same old bullshit that gave me the green light to go ahead and shut the guy out. From what it's worth, you can relax at this point. The blocking stuck. There was no follow-up message circumventing the ban. After a few minutes, I assured myself that it was all over, and I went about my day. It wasn't until I got home at dusk that the cold, squirming feeling in my stomach started all over again, and I had no idea why. Well, that's not entirely true. I had some idea. Dun, dun, dun. I checked my email. Nothing from Funny Mouth. However, there was an email from George. From uh, George G. Ghost George at uh, ReferSales.com, Saturday, November 17, 2012, at 2 or 3 p.m. to Charles Watts 
chwatts at referralsales.com. Hey. Referralsales.com is fucked up. I can't get shit to load. When you're online, please take a look ASAP. Peace and carrots. George. I let out a string of curses. Downtime meant lost sales, and I'd been out all day with no way for George to contact me. If I'd been a little less strict with my personal info, he could have just called me. I loaded the site and waited for some sort of error screen. Instead, it began to reroute to another page. Blued.com Charlie Watts, see watch. Ch Watts at ReferralSales.com, Saturday, November 17, 2012, at 6.15 p.m. to George G. Ghost George at ReferralSales.com. Yeah, I see it. It's redirecting to a website with a giant pixelated face with a messed up tongue. I think this has to be that funny mouth piece of shit. Did you give him my email? With the domain in it? CW. From and George T. Ghost George from FirstSales.com, November 17th, 2012. It's a 404 page, not a redirect. I want what you're smoking. All I get on blood.com is a coming soon notice. I don't even get, I don't give anyone shit. I'm gonna spell my name different George. That is interesting, isn't it? Is he mistyping, or does his name really continue to change? Or, yeah. Or maybe the guy telling the story is mistyping. You never know. I, yeah. I didn't... I don't think, um... I don't think Too Spooky, uh... Too Spooky wasn't like a Reddit. It wasn't set up like you could just put a story, and it was set up like a forum, so I did just, like, collect everything that yeah. was there. So, this is what it is. Charles Watts to George G.E. 6.25 p.m. Har, har, har. Funny. Then George emailed me a screenshot of the site giving a 404 error along with a coming soon notice for blue.com. He could have easily faked them, but why? I mean, if this was some sort of joke, it was pretty abstract and I didn't get it. When I looked at my website files, everything was normal. Nothing was out of place, and nobody had even logged in to change anything. I checked the domain's name name servers, the thing that reroutes a domain where it's supposed to go, and nothing was out of sorts. Still, there was this bloated, ton-wagging face looking back at me with its empty eye sockets. Then I don't know how I missed it in the first place. Looking closely, the picture of the face wasn't really pixelated. It was made of tiny letters, HTML code coloring each letter specific to the image. Over and over again, the word that made up the image was right in front of me. Funny mouth. Funny mouth. Funny mouth. Funny mouth. In a great cluster of nonsense. I felt like spitting at the screen. I unblocked his email address and set about writing an incredibly profane and threatening letter. I didn't really care if I got the site back at this point. I just wanted to get everything off my chest so I could feel like I was in control of the situation again. Before I could finish the letter, I got this weird, creepy feeling again that... No, it couldn't be feeling where you know you're being absurd, but at the same time you know you're right. I stopped hacking out my death threats and checked the inbox. From Funny Mouth, yeah. 
Blood.com, Saturday, November 17th, to Charles Watts. I see your handsome face. From Funny Mouth again at 7 p.m. Hello, buddy. From Funny Mouth at 7.01. Come on. <laughs> From Funny Mouth again. Hello. <laughs> hello. Hello. Hey, hello. From Funny Mouth, 7.01 p.m. I don't want to not. I don't think about it. Please don't. I hear your hands, your face. Not only was that feeling correct, the feeling that he had already emailed me the minute I unblocked him, but it seemed he had been steadily emailing me non-stop since I'd blocked him. Ten more letters arrived just within the time span it took me to reply. Fucking stop! I was getting a stress headache. My heart was pounding, not from fear, but rage. This is probably the most absurdly infuriating person on the internet, and that's saying a lot. Thankfully, the string of letters did indeed stop. I tried to calm myself down, breathing deeply, but it just didn't take. I was still incredibly pissed. Slowly, methodically, I sent him another note. Charlie Watts to funnymouth at blue.com 721p. Hi. I don't understand what you are saying, and I do not understand what you want. I think there may be a language barrier. Is your first language English? I think you have done something to my website, and I would like you to undo it. If you are mad at me, I did not intend this to happen. You may have misunderstood what I said or what I meant. Please change my website back and let's both go our separate ways. Thank you, CW. I waited. I thought about how I'd conquered my anger and that this measured response was really the best way to go about it. This fellow would understand what I meant. He'd realize the mistake he'd made. I calmed down. Everything was going to be okay. Then, Funny mouth at blood.com to Charles Watts at 7... 7.23 p.m. Wide-eyed. I hit the roof. I hit the goddamn roof and went clear through it. I smacked the monitor with my palm, knocking it clear off my desk. That pissed me off even more, as I drove my fist into the keyboard repeatedly until the keys flew free. I screamed out in a mixture of frustration with myself and rage over the situation and stormed out of the room, knocking down anything and everything I could get my hands on. For as long as I could manage the energy, I laid waste to my own shit. I would have started a fire and burned the fucking place down if I had a lighter on hand. That night, I stared at the ceiling for what felt like an eternity before sleep came. Waiting for sleep, I knew I was going to have a nightmare. I just knew it. That was how my luck was going. Imagine how surprised I was, even in sleep, when instead of some horrific setting, I was someplace safe. The woods. I laid in the grass again. I felt the relaxation. I knew even my subconscious knew that everything would be okay. No matter what setbacks life threw at me, the world would go on. Nothing was permanent. Everything was in transition. Nobody could really get to me. I felt the squirming against my neck. Nope, no dice. Nothing can spoil this right now. I ignored the worm. It would go away. I felt the squirming move to my mouth. 
Hmm. Now I couldn't will myself awake. Every other time I'd been able to decide to wake up, but it seemed like that opportunity had now passed. Then it wasn't a worm. It was a finger. Then another. Then more until four slimy, squirming digits were locked around my teeth, clutching my lower jaw. It didn't hurt when it happened. It was just sort of like a pop, more pressure than pain. It was quick, and before I even knew what was going on, it was over. I then managed to force myself awake. I sat up and got to my feet in complete darkness. Feeling my way around the walls, I made my way into the bathroom. There, I finally flicked a light switch. I stood before the mirror rubbing my eyes as the harsh light blinded me. I stared into the mirror for minutes on end with no reaction, no feelings, no thoughts. Then I smiled. I smiled as best as I could. Now that my jaw was completely broken, hanging loose around my neck, my tongue lolled out listlessly like a paralyzed gooey slug. My teeth weren't rooted in anything but threads of flesh, and I could pull them out by hand with about the same discomfort as a needle prick. I laughed, the halting sound coming out like the gurgle the backed up sewer drain. What a handsome face. What a funny mouth. A funny mouth. A funny mouth. A funny mouth. Funny mouth. Funny mouth. Funny mouth. Lacey Morgan. Oh. Lemon Lime Skull. That's has joined. gonna be it. Lemon Lime Skull has joined hashtag refer sales. Lemon Lime Skull. I hear handsome face. Don't be so sad about it. Smiley face. Hey, uh, where the fuck were you? Hello? Charles? Eh? Lemon's Lime Skull is now known as Funny Mouth. Funny Mouth. Wait. Funny Mouth has left. Hashtag refer sales. So it's like a human virus. It's like an internet ghost. Yeah. Which is fun. There's something fun about that. And I, and I like the... Um, I think the only thing I didn't enjoy was uh, the face. I think it could have been more effective simply as eyes. Yeah. The idea of a face with a weird tongue and the fact that that's how he ends up looking kind of ruins that surprise. I don't know. Like... <clears throat> Internet ghost, I guess, makes sense. I guess I just don't really care that he became funny mouth. He became a funny mouth. Or a funny mouth. Oh, it was interesting. I kind of wanted a different ending. <laughs> what would you? What would you have done? Uh, or what? Or what did you want? What did you expect? I mean, I expected funny mouth, the enigmatic image of who funny mouth is, to show up. Yes. But I didn't Do you think, think it was someone like in the real world, some physical presence actually watching him? Yeah, I figured that's what would happen. When I he talked about the like dented, a, when he talked about the dented bed, I kind of figured it had a physical presence, and I, I think that's supposed to be misleading. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Because I was gonna say the idea of like versus the whole thought that oh, 
fuck you. I'm getting my fucking sleep. I need to be queen level. I need to slay when I wake up. Yes, bitch. And <laughs> I don't know what that he whole point kinda, was. He did kind of sound like that, though. But just like, oh, I'm not going to let this little fucking worm bother me in my dream. Oh, wait, there's fingers in my mouth. Oh, there goes my jaw. Oh, woke up, walked into the bathroom. And this is the part that confuses me, too, with the jaw end is I'm going to assume... So, obviously, he ripped his... Dislocated his jaw or ripped his jaw off? I think there's enough skin that if he just broke it down, it would probably just hang there, right? Because then, like... If he broke the tendons that hold that hold your lower jaw in place, yeah, they're not. They're not connected anywhere else. Because, I mean, in all honesty, he could just go to a doctor and they'd probably just be able to perform which is a lot why of I, Which is why I t- immediately turned to the supernatural, because he seems possessed from that point forward. Okay. I think I think of it as he ingrains this entire thing about how he has such a personality online, and when that personality becomes hacked, you know, hit or, or stalked, I guess I should say, is his dreams then begin to get stalked. And it, it has such an effect on him that he hallucinates. So it might be an entity. Mm, okay. You think you, you could think of it as an entity. I think virus is a little bit more poignant because at the end he then takes on he takes on the same the same username. So you have to assume, okay, there are a whole bunch of these fuckers out there that just lost their shit, you know, spreading the virus some more. Or, you know, it's a Slenderman thing. It just does that to people. You know, whatever. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying there. But um, but it made me think of VHS, too, because there's a guy who's missing a jaw in that. So, that was fun to think about. I mean, did he get his teeth ripped out, too? Is that what it's implied? Like, the force of the jaw being ripped? Or broken like that? That, it, like, his teeth got ripped out? No. No. His, he only he said... he says his teeth are hanging said, there by, like, tendrils. Well, he just said that he's he's so messed up that he's thinking about removing them. Uh, That's okay. all he said. He's like, I could pick them, I could pick them out without feeling any pain. You know, he was like, I could do it without even, you know, I don't, I feel no pain now. I feel no pain. No pain. No, feel, no, 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 no. Oh, I feel no pain. I feel no pain. Funny man. It's weird we bring it to an Adam Sandler movie then. Well. You you made all of the funny mouth voices kind of Adam Sandler. Pretty much. Funny man. I don't know. Like, I still wish there was kind of like a physical entity. That's sure. That's my feeling. That's fine. Totally fine. But I, um, I get it too with the possession. You know what else? Sense. You know what else I have? That I, I, haven't had, I haven't found someone to read it with. Did you ever read or go through the entire thing of Ben Drowned? I've read it all, yeah. Oh, you read Not on the show, but... Mm-hmm. Okay, I've I'm trying to find someone who's never read it that knows what Majora's Mask is. Mm-hmm. And I'm it's thinking, I'm thinking frowns. Game. I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, someone took the ROM. Well, no, it's not Majora's Mask. I thought it's uh, Ocarina of Time. No, it's Majora's Mask. Oh, which is, which is why. Because he plays a song and then the statue pops up, right? I no, I thought it was just a, a ghost in the game that does something weird whenever he goes near the one lake. And then he starts. Well, the creepy, the way the creepy pasta works is then he has a, he finds a way to, I think, ask his computer, 
stuff about the program and why the ROM is glitching in certain ways, and the computer starts to like. Yeah, that sounds different than the one I did. No, like the original I... guy, the original guy who did. Okay, well, I'm just gonna end the show. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad we read those stories. I'm glad to have you back on. I felt like that was a solid episode. Um, I liked Funny Mouth. I liked Pale Luna, and we got we got some good laughs in there with a lot of that shit. Yeah, Pale Luna, I liked a lot. But yeah, uh, where do you where do you think we're gonna go from this point? You know, there are uh, there are at least two, two or three different episodes I kind of see you for, and I think we still have the city special to do, and we still have. Some fun games and some fun names and some some troll things. We haven't done troll in a while, but you and I read troll uh, earlier in your episodes, so I think it would be fun to get back into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Urban Legend One will be fun. I also want to do Japanese ghost stories. You would want to do Jap? I could find those. I think Japanese ghost stories are some of the most, like, unsettling things ever. Absolutely. Most of them all have some type of, like, eyewitness account. The only ones I could think of are the ones that Django and I cover in the game special. And that's just, that's in the context of games and traditions and weird combinations doing things that are inspired by Japanese Mm. lore, but not exactly stories. There are some good ones, like the, um... You know, the girl with the, the yellow umbrella. You, mm-hmm. ever, you ever read that one? It's like a guy works at a pharmacy or a hospital, and he li- and it's at the top of a hill. So every day when he, you know, rides his bike up the hill, he sees this girl with a, a yellow umbrella. But every time he, you know, tries to turn around and see her, he can't see past the umbrella. He just sees the legs and the, and the body. And, uh, you know, he sees it going to and coming from work, so he starts to assume that it's someone he works with that he's just never met. And so he he slows down one day and he, like, talks to her and, you know, he finds out who she is and she's, like, a lovely woman and all this shit. And he kind of falls falls in love with it a little bit. And then uh, one day she's not there and he asks someone at the hospital about her and it turns out to be... He's, you know, he, he, someone tells her that there was someone who, who worked there like a long time ago that died, mm-hmm. that used to carry that shit. I think they got hit by a car in like a terrible accident or something. And so you're, unassumingly, you're just like, okay, that's the end. I get it. But on his way home from work that night, you know, he's going down the hill and he sees the yellow umbrella. So as he like pulls up next to it, he, like, gets off his bike and walks over to it, and it fucking, like, turns around, and it's, like, missing parts, and its face is, like, fucking gone, and it, like, and it just ends, mm. and, like, the story's just fucking over, and, like, I remember the first time I read that, I was probably in, like, third grade, we're probably gonna find that, but, like, like, obviously that shit stuck with me, mm-hmm. like, that just, there's a kind of surreal horror that I relate to, like, David Lynch that that the Japanese do really well. It's just it's unsettling. More you know, watch the grudge. I think the grudge is pretty effective. There's there's no way to fucking beat it, and it constantly kills or fucks with everyone. And it's just that kind of brutality, but a surreal way of 
using it in stories that really sticks with you. And like, man, we could talk about Ito. We could talk mm. about Ito for for the entire fucking episode. So I would love to do that because I recently, only recently, did I in the last two years really get into Ito and read like everything. Well, I mean, yeah, especially a lot of the stories out there now that exist because they're like a lot of them are war related stories too about mm. like soldiers stationed at Japanese camps mm. and seeing stuff so like British soldiers or like American soldiers and the one like steli- uh, storytelling was kind of this topic of don't go towards the woods and watch out because these woods aren't like safe and a big thing with like Japanese spirits are if you see one, don't touch them because then you'll be haunted forever. Kind of like the idea of that one penitentiary or whatnot, where it's like you touch this area where the girl died and you will die due to her screaming in your ear all the time. (laughs) And the story is the soldier sees a woman on the outskirts of the base and basically responds. He hears her crying and he goes towards Oh, no, it's a Japanese graveyard. Never touch, like, a Japanese graveyard, essentially, Hmm. uh, during this area of the story. And he makes his way out there and ends up in a graveyard, (laughs) oddly enough. And he basically said, like, he could feel this presence behind him and ends up being rediscovered by his the troops he was with. Not in a graveyard anymore. He doesn't know what the hell's going on and then basically sees apparitions of this woman approaching him at night all the Fantastic. time. Fantastic. I love that shit. Mm-hmm. I love that shit. We we definitely I I just put you down in my uh in my list as wanting to do stuff related to Japanese folklore, ghost stories, urban legends. I think that could be super awesome because that's just it's just great. It's it's a foundation of horror. I think there's so much that the horror genre can do, and people all around the world approach it from so many different fucking angles. But mm-hmm. I think Japanese is probably some of the most horrifying. Yeah. Or maybe maybe not horrifying, <laughs> but like terrifying. Like it's not about what you see; it's about what you feel. Mm-hmm. It's about the uncertainty and the way the the surreal, obtuse, and weirdness of it at points you know we could we could talk about we could talk about video games and horror that way you know like pt like the way that they they even approached horror the way that kojima approached horror um through the through the realm of silent hill but it was such something else it was so much something else there's so much and there's such a wealth that 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 could easily be Several episodes oh, yeah, on on fant- fant- fantastic Japanese shit. Anyway, we'll definitely do that sometime soon. That sounds awesome. But yeah, this was lots of pasta. Uh, here with Terry the Tickler and your host Captain Duff. Peter Pettigrew. No, no, I'm not. I am not. I'm not a rat, sir. No, I explained your name. Petey. You know, you know, PD's the fucking asshole. David Tennant. No. What? That's that's Barty Crouch Jr. Oh really? Yeah. 
<laughs> don't don't talk to me about Harry Potter. Peter no, Pettigrew. No, you're wrong. Peter Pettigrew. You're wrong. Peter don't Pettigrew. even try. Peter Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew picked is the pick of pepper. Is Scabbers, Ron's rat, and then they find out it's the friend of uh, James and Lily Potter that betrayed the parents, and it's the reason the parents died, because they trusted him with a secret instead of trusting Sirius. Tom Bombadil. So he's one of the animagi that, that hides, and he spends 30 years as, like, a fucking rat until, you know, he could bring Voldemort back to life. He is the king asshole. <laughs> you don't want to be Peter Pettigrew. You want to... I mean, Barty Crouch is just funny because this shit he does with his tongue. <laughs> that's that's that. You're the Mad-Eye Moody to my old witch bitch. <laughs> There's so many old witch bitches and the teacher. Mad-Eye Moody to... McGonagall? Yeah. <laughs> McGonagall, Mononicle, Monocle. <laughs> oh, so speaking of Harry Potter, time to get topical on this last five second note. Do you like that Dumbledore is not going to be gay anymore? It's it's not that he's not going to be gay. It's that we know about his young life with Grindelwald and his feelings there. They're like 40. They're like 40 going on 50 in in Fantastic Beasts. He's... He's way past the point of being flirtatiously gay with another young wizard. Like, this is serious shit. He's killing people. Maybe they'll flirt sarcastically. But I don't see it being anything overt or a plot point, and I'm totally okay with that. Maybe offhand remarks. Like, there are parts throughout the Harry Potter series where... The portrayal of, of the Dumbledore actor wryly smiles about his word choice for things. You know, like, even the first couple wizards, you know, portrayals, like the, the actor who died um, playing the first in the first two movies who played Dumbledore. Um, it was uh, Harris, the, old, the oldest Harris. Which is, what's his name? I want to say Richard. When he, when he delivered lines, there are just these points where he's like, hmm. Let me try one of these beans. Puts in his mouth. He's like, hmm. Earwax. You know, it's like you can't help but just be like, yeah, Dumbledore's a little gay. He's a little fruity. How do you be that old and that badass and not have and not have a woman in your life? Specifically when McGonagall is like putting it up on a fucking pedestal for oh, her. Oh yeah, she was. Um She's like, where my monocle? Hey. <laughs> hey. She'd let him fox him any day. What? what? <laughs> That's not Harry Potter. The na- yeah, Fox is the name of his phoenix. Yeah, whatever. Liar. You know nothing. Harry Snow. This was good. <laughs> this was good. I liked this. <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm